Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up, he's the leader of the Duck Dynasty and Duck Commander family, the one and only Phil Robertson, providing some homespun and godly wisdom that can be helpful in navigating culture today. Then, Jeff Johnston of Focus on the Family, sharing the story of the decision by his son, a high school wrestler, to not wrestle females. That could have kept him from winning a state championship. Taking a stand and showing respect are two components of the conversation. Material from it is ahead. And he's known as provocative, creative, and grounded in scripture. He's an author and filmmaker, and his latest work highlights the abortion issue. You'll be hearing from Ray Comfort of Way of the Master and Living Waters ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, Gary Wilkerson's father, David, is the founder of Teen Challenge and the international missions organization Gary now heads called World Challenge. He spoke with me recently about experiencing the blessings and presence of God in a person's life, what can be termed his favor. Keep listening for more. Then with insight about hope in the midst of suffering and living a countercultural life in Christ, it's Ben Corson of Hope Generation who has a uniquely titled book that encourages believers to remain faithful and faith-filled. Finally, there are so many developments surrounding the LGBTQ agenda, and it's important that Christians keep focused on biblical principles, including God's promise to transform believers into the image of Christ. Ann Polk of Restored Hope Network provided an update recently. You can be inspired by her comments. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Phil Robertson is known for his leadership of Duck Commander and is one of the stars of Duck Dynasty. He's seen on In the Woods with Phil on Blaze TV and continues to write and speak, challenging people to adopt a biblical perspective. His latest book is entitled The Theft of America's Soul, Blowing the Lid Off the Lies That Are Destroying Our Country. With truth spoken directly and honestly, here is Phil Robertson. I looked at uh, uh, the definition the other day. I looked up theory. They have salt water, H2O, being the, the, the fountain of life, the giver of life. Salt water now. And I just looked up theory the other day, and it said, it said speculation. It said contemplation and speculation. That's what a theory is. We have put all of our faith in the fact that salt water is the the author of life and not God. I asked someone, what someone, one of the atheists of the day. I just asked him. I said, "Well, where did the salt water come from?" I said, "Because <laughs> if it made us all, I said y'all would know where the source of it, where where did it come from?" He said, "Well, we're working on that. They don't even know where the salt water came from, but they have salt water." ginning out and making all life, including human beings, salt water somehow, Bob, gave us a conscience to know the difference between good and evil. I mean, if you just get to look and you're like, wait a minute here, salt water has put a conscience in me, the ability to appreciate beauty? I mean, I'm just not buying it at all. <laughs> My college professors, they told me, you know, there, there is no God. They, uh, salt water pulled the whole thing off. Bob, I just think we're giving too much credence to H2O. I don't think it uh, has the power nor the ability to create all life. Even trees, 
You ask them where the trees came from, and they'll say, oh, salt water made them. So hmm. salt water even made the trees. So I don't know. You get to looking at it. I've said, well, you know what? Uh, do you have any hope in that system? Is there any hope beyond this life? Because if Jesus didn't come down and die for the sins of the world, we have old writings and a lot, about 40 different men wrote all this down. If he didn't die for our sins, and three days later, if he wasn't resurrected from the dead, Bob, none of us are getting out of here. So hmm. that's basically the only hope we have. And I'm going with it, and all that's required of me is to love God and to love my neighbor. So basically, when I take a cussing because I share Jesus with people, I don't hold it against them. I just go right on there and tell the next one and tell the next one and tell the next one. Amazingly, I think there's still hope for our nation. But if and until there's a mass repentance on the electorate, on, on the people of America— and we start, in other words, Bob, if, if the electorate doesn't repent, what, what, what happens is when the electorate goes bad, the people go bad, they elect corrupt officials, and then corrupt officials give us corrupt policies, and that's where we're beginning to, we're, we're, we're going into that phase right now. So unless America repents and turns to God, it does not bode well for the next 30 or 40 years around here. We think about this whole area of, of absolute truth and a lack of absolute truth. And, of course, the buzzword for today, and I want you to comment on this, is tolerance. And it's, you know, like, you, I have a right to be heard, which, you know, obviously that is true, but you don't have a right to try to force your beliefs on somebody else and to silence those beliefs. You know, tolerance seems to be a good thing for some people, but when it comes to tolerating the beliefs of Scripture, that's a different thing entirely. I mean, if somebody had told me that freedom of speech itself would ever become dangerous hmm. in the United States of America, I would have laughed. I would have thought, no, you would have you would never withhold free speech, allow not allow people to speak their mind. And now Trump's going to, he, he just passed that, uh, wrote the, the uh, presidential the decree that, look, I mean, if you, if you don't allow people to come on your the, college campus and say what they have to say, and if you don't want to sit there for 45 minutes and listen to them, well, don't show up. But if they come in there, oh, you're going to allow them to speak, or we're going to start withholding these funds from you. I personally, I mean, I'm not too much on presidential decrees, but uh, I'm saying that's a good one, in my humble opinion. Bill Robertson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to duckcommander.com or find his Facebook page at Official Phil Robertson. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Jeff Johnston, culture and policy analyst for Focus on the Family, who shared the story of his son declining to wrestle females, possibly preventing him from winning a state championship. He expanded the discussion into the topic of respect. From that recent conversation, this is Jeff Johnston. We have three boys, and uh, they've been involved in wrestling. It's been for the last 10 years now. Our oldest is a senior in college, and then we have twins who are seniors in high school, Brendan and Aiden, and they wrestle at the 106-pound weight and 113-pound weight. So they're, you know, they're not that big, but um, they're pretty good. 
And Brendan and Aiden have wrestled uh, for six years now since junior high. And um, Colorado has not had a girls wrestling program. Now, they did introduce this uh, this year for the very first time, the possibility that if girls wanted to, they could wrestle in the pilot program. But in the past, there have been times when uh, the twins have come up against a girl wrestler and they have always said, um, we're not going to do that. We're not going to wrestling is such a, a, a close contact sport and it's rough and it's aggressive. And they've said, we don't want to slam a girl down on the mat and try to pin her or grapple with her. And um, there's some really close moves. And, and it's not just that they don't want to touch a, a girl in that way. It's also been that they don't want to be touched in that way by girls, and especially on a, you know, a mat in front of a couple hundred people. So this year at the state tournament, Brendan qualified at 106, and um, we're a Division three school. And there were two girls who also qualified from other regions in our bracket. And Brendan met one of them in one of the first rounds and said, I'm not going to wrestle a girl. So he forfeited. And then in the fourth round, after winning two matches, um, he met another girl and said, no, I'm going to forfeit. And it actually took him out of the state tournament. And he had had a very good season. He had lost twice in matches to the first place guy in the state. Um, but those were his only losses, except for forfeits to girls. So, so basically, here you have your son. He was a, a he was in the state wrestling championship tournament, basically, and and he had made that decision. It sounds like to me, Jeff, this was not something that just occurred here on the spur of the moment in this tournament. This is something that your twin boys had had really grown up with, seeing that this possibility might be coming down the pike at some particular time. They had really considered how they would deal with that when the time came. That, that's right. They're, um, they're part of a really good group of young men who uh, have been wrestling together for years, and they've had a wrestler's Bible study, and the topics come up at the Bible study. Well, what's going to happen if one of you has to face a girl on a mat? How are you going to handle that? And so from the very beginning, they had decided, no, we're, we're not going to wrestle girls. And it um, last year, it took Brendan out of the state tournament, and this time forfeiting to two girls. Those were his losses that took him out of the tournament, so it really cost them. And they, you know, they thought through all the issues and ramifications, and they knew what the cost would be, but they said, we're not going to do that. Earlier in the season at a tournament, my wife, Judy, was standing against the wall and standing next to another lady, and the coach came up to the, the lady and her daughter and said, he's not going to wrestle you. And the girl was uh, disappointed and walked away. And um, my wife's not one to, she's not one to walk away from tough conversations. So she engaged the mother in, in conversation and said to her, well, that's my son that's choosing not to wrestle your daughter. And the woman said, well, yeah, my, my daughter feels kind of disrespected by that. Like, you know, he's not willing to wrestle a girl. And Judy said, that's not it at all. You know, he he respects the work and the effort that she's put in. He's just not wanting to engage in that kind of a close physical contact with a young lady. And and that's what Brendan has said, too, in his interviews. He's been very careful about how he articulates this. He doesn't want to disrespect the, the women that are in wrestling, um, the, the work they put into it. Some of these girls are really good. But at the same time, it's not something that he wants to do. And, and, and it, you know, being put in that 
position by our state um, is kind of difficult for a young guy. So um, my my wife and the um, the other mother talked about it for a little bit, and I think she finally knew a little bit of our side of it. But there are it's very interesting how polarizing this issue is. There are those that really get our issue. And and they're saying, what do you mean? Boys have to wrestle girls? And, and they don't understand it at all. And then there are some on the other side that are saying, you know, well, it's about equality or it's about women's rights. Jeff Johnston here on The Intersection. The Focus website is focusonthefamily.com. From the Ministry of Living Waters, Ray Comfort joined me to discuss his latest pro-life film called Seven Reasons, which presents the gospel and shows young people on college campuses changing their hearts and minds toward abortion. Here now is Ray Comfort. Well, the video was birthed out of necessity um, when I saw what was going on with liberals and wanting to kill babies after they're born. Uh, it horrified me beyond words. I mean, the, the facade of it not being a baby in the womb was gone. They admit it. They just want to kill babies for convenience sake. And as I said, that horrified me. So I went to uh, colleges and on the street and talked to people who were pro-abortion and reasoned with them. And there's, the film looks at seven reasons uh, why people uh, want to have an abortion. And I reasoned with them as to why they weren't legitimate reasons. And uh, people change their minds within minutes of hearing these reasons. So this film has the ability not only to encourage Christians, but to change people's minds as they watch it. And when people change their minds, they change their votes. And when they change their votes, lives are going to be saved. So this is a very important movie. Our website, I'm sorry, our YouTube channel is just uh, on 72 million views. And so we have a platform, we have access to the ungodly, and we want those who are pro-life and Christians to uh, push this right through the Internet and change people's minds about the issue of abortion. Well, and you actually saw people right there as you talked with them and filmed them. They were changing their minds about abortion. Now, did you find that the majority of people that you talked to, were they Christians? Were they non-Christians? What, what sort of spiritual background did you find that they had? Ignorance. That was their <laughs> okay. spiritual background. They were ignorant as to what abortion is. Hmm. Um, some, some know what uh, happens with an abortion, and you see that on film. I say, do you know what happens with an abortion, how they do it? I said, if you have to kill a baby, let's say you had the job of killing a baby, how would you best do it? What's the most expedient way? And they'd say, oh, well, I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional. I said, well, how do they do it? So, well, they crush the head and rip the arms and legs off. Are you happy with that? Yeah, that's fine. It's a woman's choice. These are words that are horrific to hear. But others said, you know what happens with an abortion? They said, no. I said, well, let me tell you what happens. And they are horrified. So there is a semblance of conscience in the hearts of some of the ungodly that does stir up and and they come to a a good sense with it. So um, this, this film isn't just about abortion. It's the gospel. What we want to do is not just change people's votes, not just save lives of babies, but we want to see people saved on judgment day because as human beings, if we die in our sins, God's going to give us justice on the day of judgment and hell is a reality that that should horrify every Christian. So this film uses the gospel as the power of God to salvation to see people not only have their minds changed, but their very hearts changed. So elaborate just a bit more as far as how this film is actually centered around the gospel and how's the gospel presented here using this, this template, if you will, of, uh, of the abortion issue. 
Well, I have one question I ask people. I won't steal the thunder and say what it is, but there's a question that I ask people that leaves them dumbfounded. They don't know how to answer it. And what I'm actually doing is appealing to the conscience. The conscience is the work of the law written on the heart. It bears witness with the commandments. The word conscience means with knowledge. Con is with, science is knowledge. And so when you uh, move away from the intellect, the place of argument, and appeal to the conscience using the commandments, uh, the commandments side with you. And that's actually what you see happen. Uh, the, the conscience bears witness. And they know in their heart, you shall not kill. And when you put that with future punishment, a reason why people need to repent and come to Christ, it stirs their, stirs their heart and conscience to listen to the gospel. It's like this. If you're on a plane and I said, you're going to have to jump 10,000 feet, you say, yeah, ho-hum, yeah, big deal. And I said, well, come over here a minute. And I hung you out the plane by your ankles for two seconds you'd come back in and say, give me the parachute. And that's what I do in this film. I say to people, I love you, I care about you, I'm going to hang you out the plane by your ankles. I'm going to talk about eternity and a holy God and a law you violated a multitude of times so that the fear of God will fill your heart, good sense will kick in, and you say, I need a savior. And that's what we see happening in the film. Ray Comfort here on The Intersection. Find out more through the number 7reasonsmovie.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find out more information about The Intersection. You can listen to or download the current edition as well as previous episodes of the podcast through the Media Center. It's also available via iTunes. In fact, full conversations with recent guests on the Meeting House program and The Intersection podcast can be found through a number of different apps, including the Faith Radio app. Find out more when you visit the homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info. Or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. And again, content is available through the Faith Radio app as well as other apps. Gary Wilkerson is president of World Challenge and author of the book, God's Favor, Experiencing the Life God Wants You to Have. In our recent conversation, he discussed the work of the ministry of World Challenge and shared about the concept of experiencing God's blessings and presence in a believer's life. From that conversation, this is Gary Wilkerson. It kind of defines a lot of wrestling I've done in my own life, even from a, uh, a child of, uh, I remember as a little boy, my father uh, sitting myself and my siblings down, and your mom has uh, uh, an incurable cancer. It doesn't look like she's going to be able to make it through this. And I'm a little boy here. I'm hearing that. I'm thinking, you know, God, where are you in that? And I was, you know, thankfully she was healed and and lived to be a long life into her 80s. Uh, but but then, you know, my father is a well-known evangelist and um, writer and author, and so he traveled all around the world. So as a as a young man, I was I was kind of alone a lot. And when my mom was sick and dad gone, it was. It was like, and so I began to question at a very early age, God, are you with me? Are you for me? Uh, life doesn't seem, you know, I, I had a lot better than a lot of people, but there was a lot of hardship. And even into my older years, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd hear these messages about, you know, if you have God's favor, uh, you're, you're going to be smiling every moment and you're never going to have any hardship. And if something difficult comes along, you just sort of, 
you just sort of say something's going to get better and you, you speak into it, the situation and all of a sudden it goes away and, and life is, is, is a bowl of Cheerios and, and a rosy and everything uh, comes, comes up uh, almost like your, you know, perfect, perfect uh, mm-hmm. dream come true lifestyle. And, uh, but, but that wasn't the life I was facing. I, I, I was, I was getting hit with stuff. So, so I, I got in this dilemma of seeing on one hand, these people sort of shouting down the coordinates from the mountaintop saying, Here, here's how you get to these high levels of, of favor and, uh, you know, prosperity and blessing. And then I heard people also, on the other hand, they were kind of speaking from the abyss, looking down into the darkness and saying, life is hard and suffering and pain and sorrow and, and God will help you endure it. But, you know, don't ask for anything because you're not going to get out of it. This is, this is God teaching you a lesson. And I was totally dissatisfied with either of those two extremes. And, and Bob, you know, you see those extremes in, in, the, in the evangelical circles today of, uh, of the hyper-prosperity movement or of the other kind of, uh, you know, the worm, perpetual worm mentality, uh, you know, that, that God does bad things uh, in order to keep us in line. And, and I, I just didn't really believe the Bible and my knowledge of God uh, um, allowed me to, to see his nature and character fitting fully into either of those extremes. And so I came up with, I believe, what is a harmony in the gospel of of understanding that there's going to be difficulty and pain and sorrow and suffering in our life. We're going to endure hardship, uh, but not to look at God and saying, like, he's bringing this on just because he's an ogre and difficult. But uh, on the other extreme, to see God also as a good, good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And I I have four kids, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to let them endure some hardship in order for them to form the nature and character that God wants for them to be men and women of, of uh, strength and endurance. So I know some hardship has to be involved there, but I also want them to be blessed. I, one of my sons is looking at buying a house now. I, my, my prayer is he gets the best house he can get and find something that's beautiful and has a nice yard and his kids are, are blessed. So, so I see God as being a God of blessing and favor and love. Uh, and, and, and yet I don't see him as one of these, genies you rub the magic lantern mm, and no. uh, you know out comes every wish you 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 want uh, so I, I wanted to paint a picture in this book because i've been through suffering and didn't understand maybe i've done something wrong uh i don't have god's favor because look at this pain in my life uh or on the other hand but i've been so blessed by him and have the favor of his his presence and so uh, i just wanted to write about him god's so good i, I wanted to tell people uh, know how good he is know his love know his power and, and in doing so, it will transform your life. Gary Wilkerson here on The Intersection. Learn more at worldchallenge.org. Up next, it's Ben Corson. He teaches at Applegate Christian Fellowship in Southern Oregon. He's the founder of Hope Generation. He discussed with me matters related to his book, Optimisfits, Igniting a Fierce Rebellion Against Hopelessness. From that conversation, this is Ben Corson. I think the optimistic misfit thing is all throughout the Bible. Like, first of all, the optimism, the Bible says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word hope appears, you know, 129 times in about 121 verses in the Bible. And the idea of hope in in the Old Testament Hebrew refers to being knitted. It's not loosey-goosey. It's knitted to ultimate reality. Uh, The New Testament calls it an anchor. So it's not just, you know, unicorns shooting rainbows out of their eyes, dining on Pegasus steak, raining jelly beans and Skittles and robustly flavored donuts of fun. No, it's it's an anchor. It's plumbing the deeps. Um, And I love that about hope. In fact, the the Greek word for hope is el peace in the New Testament, and it literally means 
joyful, confident welcome. So hope is the joyful confidence whereby we welcome all the miracles of God into our life. And this idea of optimism is in reach for those who've been heartbroken too, because the phrase a broken heart was actually invented by the Bible. So the author of that book will be the finisher of our faith, and he knows how to give us hope even in the most dire circumstances. And then as far as being a misfit is concerned, um, you know, the optimist Jesus was crucified because he was a misfit, both by the religious establishment when he was breaking all their traditional laws, and then by the Roman government when Pontius Pilate saw that he was a threat to the throne of Caesar. And so the Bible says, don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, um, so yeah, I, I really want people to get this sense of, you know, the conformist lifestyle is not the one that God has called us to submit to, but rather he's called us, instead of fitting in, he's called us to be the kind of people who are standing out. From a biblical standpoint, when you speak of people having that that state or that position of being a, a misfit, kind of unpack that for us just a bit more. How do you de- how do you define that? Well, you look at the early Christians, and they were such misfits that the government was killing them. <laughs> like they they were they were living such a a, a radical revolutionary lifestyle that the Romans were so. Uh, intimidated by them, but they were actually killing them. And so my heart is, is like, I think, I think for today, when you hear the word misfit, you think of like somebody who's rebelling against something and you think of nihilism and cynicism and jaded annihilation. But when I use the word misfit, I'm talking about rebelling, not against something, but rebelling toward something, rebelling toward beauty, hope, truth. You see, like nowadays when people are committing suicide once every 40 seconds. There's 123 suicides per day in America alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the norm is to be depressed. I mean, we live in the most depressed generation on record, sociologists tell us. And so to be a misfit is to say, I'm going to ignite a fierce rebellion against hopelessness toward beauty, toward a life of sacred optimism, Jesus, joy, holy happiness, and calm delight. And so to me, being a misfit is saying, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to live a life of working 40 hours a week for 40 years to retire on 40% of my income to get my 401k, my dog named Spot, my 2.5 kids, my white picket fence, and then claim my spot in the cemetery after tooling around in my golf cart in Palm Springs because that's what society is telling me. Instead, I want to be like the Bible characters who, um, who were willing to say, I'm not just going to conform to the world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind by thinking about what God has called me to do, who God has called me to be, even if that looks like I'm a misfit to others in society. Ben Corson here at The Intersection. Learn more by going to Ben Corson, that's C-O-U-R-S-O-N dot com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Ann Polk, Executive Director of Restored Hope Network. She shared an update on developments regarding the LGBTQ agenda and the transformation in Christ that the network offers to people struggling with homosexuality and matters of same-sex attraction. Here now is Ann Polk. Yes, we're excited that in this time um, when it's very challenging to stand for truth that there's actually a whole bunch of um, wonderful things happening behind the scenes from growth of ministry numbers to the um, reach of our ministries to staff members being hired happily uh, 
many dear friends from Focus on the Family Days um, are now on staff. And so I'm really glad to have that uh, support. Um, there are things going behind the scenes with major Christian national organizations. And and also when the, the bills came up in California about prohibiting anybody from leaving homosexuality or uh, obtaining a resource, a potential to sue someone for a, a book or a material that was sold in California, uh, came up for a, a potential vote last year. A whole bunch of us gathered together uh, behind the scenes and we're strategizing together. So there's this national group of legal counselors, um, uh, ministry folks, um, influencers, lobbyists, you name it, on the back and uh, ready to be activated in whatever state some of these bills come up in. Uh, what we found, though, Bob, is that um, people who are testifying may or may not be telling an accurate picture, like Sam Brinton, for one. His uh, parents said he never actually went to uh, sexual orientation counseling in his teens, and yet he claims all these abusive, horrible practices. Um, so... You know that it's it's a it's an interesting thing. His message, though it's very questionable and probably unlikely, uh, got all the way to the UN uh, Committee on Torture and Human Rights, and was given a fair uh, was given a hearing there, and that has actually influenced a lot of the the bills that are coming forward. And so these these claims of abuse and um, and misuse of Christian ethics, we're just seeing um, a misuse of information, and potentially it may not even be accurate because the parents have said something along the lines of not even having had sexual orientation change therapy in his youth. And so that's very challenging. That's the kind of environment we're facing to get the news out that people actually can be compassionately cared for and transformed. Uh, by the power and the kindness of Jesus Christ. And yet there are young groups being raised up even now who are leaving behind homosexuality, whole teams of people uh, and networking with, say, Bethel Church and uh, the Changed Movement and Equipped to Love and, and a new group coming out called Freedom March. They saw their rights being taken away, and they began to speak out in the public square about their own testimonies, their own lives. Uh, and in that in that group, and some of those folks, we have people who have actually um, just left the gay lifestyle as a result of the Pulse shooting, or they're saying, God, I, I know I'm living the wrong way, and um, my life was almost snuffed out. I'm going to surrender all to you. And so, praise God, those kind of things, those stories are happening over and over and over again, even in this environment that's fairly anti-Christian, and the church is giving way, and yet people's lives are still being rescued out of darkness. So I would encourage the body of Christ to once again look at, can lives really be transformed in Jesus Christ? Does he have any exclusion clauses in that message? Hmm. Um, can can a drug, drug addict leave uh, drugs? Can an alcoholic leave alcoholism? Can an, a person who's dealing with homosexuality leave that life and actually thrive as a single or married man or woman of God? Um, a person doesn't have to get married to show that they've left the lifestyle, uh, but to faithfully walk with Jesus is the whole point of the message. And that it increases 
um, our, our Christ-likeness, whether or not a person gets married is irrelevant. Um, it's a matter of walking with Jesus. And I just, we can't lose that message. We cannot surrender that to culture. Um, the actual gospel is at stake, and it's mm-hmm. a wedge issue that the enemy will take advantage of if we, if we cave on this area. So hopelessness comes rapidly as a result of that. And, and so we want to stand in the gap for hope. And Paul here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to RestoredHopeNetwork.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. Again, you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. There's a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection. The podcast is available via iTunes. You can also listen to the current edition or download it, or you can listen to or download previous episodes of the Intersection podcast through that media center. The Faith Radio podcast from The Meeting House featuring full conversations is available through the Faith Radio app. The Intersection podcast is also available through that app and through a variety of other apps. You can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that's through the programming section at faithradio.org or you can go to meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me this week on the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.